I shall endeavor to serve you with loyalty, respect, and love, as I have throughout my life. I feel like you have a really good relationship with Charles, and I even thought maybe you were friends, but I know you don't classify it no, as a friendship. No, no. How would you classify your relationship? Well, I, I, that's how I classify it. He calls me Arthur, I call him Sir. <laughs> and that's it? That's it. So, anyway, Arthur, I'm so grateful to you for, for all your kindness today. And that's what he's like. He's a kind person, a really kind person, and uh, kind at heart. And if you're kind at heart, you're a pretty nice person. Hello and welcome back to the Right Rule podcast with me, Emmy, and me, Andrea. In this episode, we will be discussing all things King Charles III, and we're kicking things off with our royal editor, Emily Nash. Hello, Hello. how are you both? Hello. Very well, thank I'm you. I'm so excited for this episode because I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it. King Charles is my favourite royal. <gasps> fangirl. Yeah, fangirl from from years ago my favorite he's funny he's kind and he used to be really really hot and he waved <laughs> to us that time outside of ITV and yes he waved to us yes once oh I've actually seen him a, a few times in his royal car since he's become king so you know we haven't met in person but you know we're friends Emily you've been with the royals many many times over the years what is your perception of our new king well I have to say I agree with you Andrea fangirls um, <laughs> he you know, hasn't always had the best press over the years. And it's fair to say he's had a few controversies along the way. But what I have seen uh, from covering his engagements and from going on tour with him is that he is fundamentally a decent person. Um, He's very interested in people and in helping people. He's funny and he's a lot warmer um, in real life than he sometimes appears to be. I think you can't, that doesn't always come across in pictures and in footage. Um, and, you know, he's had the longest ever apprenticeship for the role that he's now carrying out pretty well. It's not been easy for him. No. But I think that a lot of people are starting to see another side to him now. And certainly in things like the environment, he's really come good. You know, people have appreciated that he was really way ahead of his time. I think we should start a fan club and I know someone who would join it and that's our guest today, Arthur Edwards, because he really appreciates King Charles and has incredible stories. That's right. And it wasn't always like that between Arthur and I know. And, and I think King. that's why I love the story so much more because they started as like enemies, if we can call it that. And then they've kind of gone into, you know, allies. And I love it. I don't think there's anyone better placed to uh, talk about the engagements that the then Prince of Wales has carried out over more than 40 years. Well, let me tell our listeners a little something about Arthur Edwards, our next guest. So he is the son's royal photographer and he has accompanied the royal family on at least 200 trips since 1975. He's visited 120 countries, covered seven royal weddings, five royal funerals and eight royal births. And he's also been honoured with an MBE for outstanding services to newspapers. Welcome to the podcast, Arthur. It's lovely to have you here. It's, it's lovely to be here. Thank you so much for coming along, Arthur. Right. Um, we know that you have so many amazing stories to tell about your time photographing the royal family. Um, and you very kindly agreed to come and share some with us here right. at Hello. Where do we start? You've been doing this for such a long time. Well, you know, I've uh, 82. I photographed her on this week. I photographed a, a lorry driver in Sheffield who was 90. 
And uh, he, he put, his fitness put me to shame, you know. So really, I've got a long way to go. <laughs> and uh, hopefully we're doing it next year and probably the year after. But, you know, who knows? But uh, one of the things I always said, I wanted to photograph the King's coronation. And uh, that looks like it's possible now. You know, I'm going to probably do that in, in May. And uh, that's what I'm really looking forward to. Fantastic. And you've seen it all. No, Andrea's yes. got lots of yes. questions. I thought we'd start from the beginning because, you know, I've looked into you, I've researched you, and I found out that actually when you started photographing the royals, you weren't really a royalist. But with time, you've kind of fell in love with the royal I, family? I, it's true. I was very aggressive in those days. In fact, newspapers in the 70s and 80s was very aggressive. There was no sort of prisoners taken. You know, there was none of these... These rules that go, we go by now, there was it was absolutely nothing like that, and um, and so you know I was aggressive, yeah. I mean I used to go and get, get really stuck in, and I mean some of the some of the things I some of the things I photographed. And I remember the Queen at Sandringham and Edward riding his horse at me, you know, to get me out of the way. I mean <laughs> that's how that's how abrasive brazen I was, but you know I. Um, in fact, when I got my MBE, the Queen said, I can't believe I'm giving you this, she said. <laughs> Although she was remembering back to that day. Yeah, but uh, it, it was very aggressive. And uh, for, for, for at least 10 years, it was like that. It was um, full on. And um, the Prince of Wales used to say, look, I don't mind when I'm working. He said, but when I'm not working, I like, you know, and he was always pleading with me, you know, to back off, back off. And we had a couple of really serious uh, confrontations, you know, really serious. I mean, one of them was sort of, almost poking me in the chest and giving me a lecture, you know, and he was. And, uh, but slowly, you see, I was listening to him, what he was saying. I was watching what he was doing. I used to see that he was sort of campaigning for, for other people, never anything for himself. He never, ever, ever for himself, always for others. And I was watching him. I mean, I'm going to, I've been to every rainforest in the world with him. I've seen been plead to every president, every king, every prime minister, stop ripping these precious resources up. Well, I happen to be particularly passionate about... Uh about the continuation of the human race on this planet, and particularly so about the future of our children and grandchildren, because what really has depressed me for so long is the thought that we will be increasingly handing over to them a poison chalice. And of course I realized what he was saying was true, you know, these people were damaging the planet, uh, and, and of course many other things, you know, I mean, and, and lots of what he does never goes, never gets mentioned. And I've seen, and I've seen how he can use that position as the Prince of Wales for the benefit of others. And 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 he makes them benefit. And I can give you some examples if you wish. Uh, for instance, we went to Krakow in Poland, and he was talking in the Jewish quarter there, talking to some of the, the Jewish guys there, and they said we're desperate for a centre where we can teach our children. And he came back and he rang, uh, I think it was the Centre for Jewish Relief. They came to have lunch with him. They held two dinners. They raised four million pounds and they built this home for these. And he went out and opened it. You know, just something he just did because he could do it. And another time we were in Nepal and we went to this refuge centre where people, prostitutes who were prostituted into India, come back afterwards and their families reject them. And this lady a refuge for them and it was just a few sheds without people like her the situation would be obviously infinitely worse and he came out what can we do for these and and he came up with a scheme where he would do a, a limited edition of one of his paintings i think the painting was van Perna, and framed and we would sell them to the re 250 limited edition and we would sell them to the readers for 250 pounds 
We could have sold a thousand, it just went like hotcakes. And he bought this land and there was this beautiful centre built there. On behalf of my staff, my children, we are so strong we feel now that we can face every, you know, all the difficulties which come our way. And <laughs> no one knows that, I know that. So I was kind of really impressed by him, you know, I really thought, well, this man just, just gets things done. And um, so not only did I didn't want to be aggressive anymore, I wanted to support him as much as I could. And, and it was never stopped thinking, you know, he once even suggested that we have a reception for page three girls to, to, <laughs> to, 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 to raise money for a youth club in, Bur in Burnley. But, you know, I think his staff talked him out of that. But, but, <laughs> but, no, but that, That's a photograph you would have enjoyed taking. Well, it, yeah, and I think, you know, I think he was in earnest because he mentioned it to me twice. He said, what are you doing about it? And I said, well, I'm trying to sort it out. <laughs> but uh, so really what I've done, I've become not only a sort of, I suppose, just photographing him. It's just a bit, a bit also come to sort of admire him and, uh, you know, think what a great man he is. And the fact that he's this privilege that he's got, as he said to me once, this privilege comes with a massive amount of duty. But... We hear about when he goes to these different events and the Prince's Trust, and we know about. We don't hear about all these other things he does, day in day out. And if you remember all those letters that he sent to ministers, which people got sort of a bit annoyed about, the Black Spider memos, the Black they Spider were called, memos, yeah. um, they were all for the benefit of others, never for himself. Not one thing for himself. I've never known him do anything for himself or the royal family. It's always for the others, and. Uh, it's just impressive, and I think I see William doing that now, you know, as yeah. well. William's following him just exactly the same way. What are these memos, sorry? So oh. the Black Spider memos, to explain to our listeners, were letters um, between the then Prince of Wales, Charles, and government ministers and various government departments, and there was a big campaign to have them made public. And when they were finally made public, actually, as Arthur says, what they showed was him intervening um, obviously, as a member of the royal family, they shouldn't intervene in politics, but they were not political issues, were they? No, there were sort of like supermarkets come into a town where it would ruin all the local shops, and you know, saying this is, you know, this is what this is damage is going to do to this community. So things like that. So it was never ever for himself, and of course, it's no secret when I'm getting up in the morning going to going to photograph him or or, or Camilla, lovely Camilla. I, I just singing. I'm just it's just joyful, you know. I know everything I'm just going to do is, and I can't. I work so hard to get it in the paper, you know, it's not the most popular of the royal family for, as far as publications go, but I do give it my best shot every time. And he often says to me, you know, this won't publish. I said, well, I'll keep trying, sir. <laughs> <laughs> is it safe to say that he is your favourite royal? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, without any doubt. It has been for many years, you know, in spite of the the superstars. Diana, you know, Diana was, was a wonderful lady and, and Catherine and, of course, Harry and William, you know, but uh, never ever, you know, I've never wavered from them early days, you know, when he sort of, I mean, I'm too serious. T tell us well, about I have the, one. Yeah. I, I've read about one, which was in the Highgrove. Oh, the Highgrove one. Well, that's a very famous one because I told that on Desert Island Discs. T tell us about that row, Arthur. Well, uh, I was sent by Kelvin, our editor then. I was on the paper long and uh, he just bought Highgrove. He said, get down there and have a look at it, see what's, uh, I'll go down there. Got a big lens on my shoulder, and I noticed there's a public footpath running across the bottom of his land. Ideal. So I'm walking along <laughs> this public footpath, and all of a sudden he comes galloping up on his horse, and he's really angry. There's steam coming out of his ears. He said, "What are you doing on my land?" I said, "I'm not on your land. I'm on a public footpath. I've only been on the sun 18 months." He said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm just doing my job." He said, "Some job?" I said, "Well, at least I've got a job." <laughs> I meant because I was working, you know, and I was, work and yeah, yeah. Uh, of course he took that as an insult. Gallop hit the horse, galloped off to the house. And three days later, one of his policemen came up to me and said, what the hell happened there? I said, what? 
So we're all sitting in the kitchen drinking tea. The prince comes in. He's screaming at us. You're supposed to be guarding me. He said he bangs his whip on the table. All the cup, coffee cups go flying. You're supposed to be guarding me, he said, and Arthur Edwards is on my front lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Was that your worst encounter with him? Probably, yeah. yeah. It's a real enemies to friends trope, isn't it? No, it was, uh, well, and uh, in fact, um, William, Prince William, was talking to some a friend of mine who said that, you know, about paparazzi chasing his wife, or then his girlfriend. And he said, you know, because they're not all like Arthur Edwards, he said, but then, of course, my father tells me he was a bit of a lad in his time. <laughs> And I think what's really interesting for listeners um, is for you to maybe explain a bit about the difference between the paparazzi and royal photographers, because there is a real distinction. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not, not everyone I'm understands. I'm not paparazzi. I wouldn't go and stand outside a club waiting for Harry to come out. I wouldn't be chasing uh, Catherine after work. I never never got down. I never got involved in any of that. I'm not saying I wasn't, you know, I go in all, I went on the ski slopes every year with the prince. I went with the, you know, did some... Good stuff, but never, ever, uh, never, never like that. No, the, the paparazzi are a group of people that that make a living out of doing celebrity pictures, hoping the celebrities will react, which will make the pictures more valuable. And of course, they are, when it's, you know, for instance, when Harry, there was a hint that Harry had a girlfriend called Megan, and she was a an actress. That was like, uh, that was like, you know, putting a big bounty up for the you know, getting the first picture. And, of course, they were so aggressive to get that. Those things happen. But um, but I get invited to... to I, mean, I did a job yesterday with uh, Prince William in um, in Slough. And, uh, it, you know, it's quite pleasant and uh, nice pictures. And that's... Because I was invited by a member of the newspaper group. And, and, and I go on the royal tours and I fly on the plane with them. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm just... Them aggressive days are gone anyway. <laughs> I think... I think- it's fair to say that most people looking at an image might not understand that it's been taken by someone who's accredited yeah. by the palace to cover yeah. that event, as opposed to the kind of candid shots you might see of people yeah. doing their supermarket shop or something like that. And and so, you know, it's it's important, I think, not to confuse the two, isn't it, Arthur? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely so, yeah. And, uh, and of course, the paparazzi wouldn't turn up on official engagements. They wouldn't be on royal tours. They wouldn't be accredited for the start, but... Um, but they're now less and less. They're now having no influence. You know, Prince William and Catherine have made it very clear that that's all pictures of their children, all sort of private stuff is, is totally off limits now. And you, if they took them, they couldn't sell them anywhere. They couldn't sell them even abroad now. It's all, it's, that market's almost gone for them. And, and that's pretty good luck to William, you know, because he's, I remember we used to stand outside the nursery every start of every term and they used to turn up and we'd get pictures of that and get them, I mean... It was a kind of uh, yeah, but no, no longer, and that that's all over now. And I think that's right too. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, do you think it's better now than when you started your career? I think it is better now. Yeah, only because you know I didn't realise how traumatised the children were about it. You you don't think like that then. You know, you just think you got to get today's picture. Now we're here to talk about Charles because uh, you know when we when the subject came about Charles, we thought you were the perfect person to interview. You've known, just so listen, in case there's any listeners who don't know who Arthur is, you have been photographing Charles since he was a, a playboy. Like a, a yeah. hot bachelor. Playboy. Yeah, a hot bachelor. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before he met Diana, you were actually the first photographer to, yeah. to well, photograph Lady Diana I, first, I got the first picture of Diana, yeah. And um, it was at a polo match down in Sussex. 
I was given this job to find out who Prince Charles was going to marry because he said 30 was a good time to get married. And he'd just come out of the Navy, I think he was 28. And where do you start? You know, I don't know. I didn't, but I took it on. Then, of course, I found Diana at this. And I didn't believe it. I can't believe he's going out with a teenager. I remember saying that to the office. I said, look, don't, don't syndicate the picture. Just leave it in the library. And then a month later, I was driving up along the River Dee, going to the Braemar Games, and I saw fishing with Diana on the, on the riverbank. And uh, then we knew it was off. On oh, you know, so. And I remember the, um, I rang the reporter, Harry Arnold. He was at a cricket match in Kent. I said, Harry, Diana's here with him. And I said, I've got a great quote that uh, she's following him around like a lamb. That do me, he said, Harry, right, bang. Was, uh, he's in love again. Uh, we've splashed on it, you know, all the, and the picture I did at the polo was on the page of, uh, Lady Diana, all the qualities to be queen, and it was just off and running. And it was a question of not if they were going to get married, but when. And then that year, they got engaged in February. Just delighted and, and happy. And I, I, I'm amazed that she's uh, been brave enough to take me on. <laughs> it was just an incredible year, you know. It was so, I can't remember, so busy. And um, and then the wedding, of course, you know, um, which was a which is an uh, amazing day. I can never... And we'll forget that as long as I live. It was just an amazing, amazing day. And um, and then we went on the honeymoon. And uh, we went. We on went on the honeymoon. We, we the paper. Uh, how, how romantic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we went to cover the honeymoon, and of course, oh, it was it was a nightmare. I mean, we we saw them off in Gibraltar, and they were lovely pictures. And then that's the last we saw them till they got to Port Side. They went all around the Greek islands. So did we. We never saw them once. And. Uh, <laughs> But finally, they came to Portside where they, the royal yacht was, and we got pictures of them on the deck. And that evening, the ship's photographer released a picture of uh, the princess, Prince Charles and, and Diana, with the president of Egypt. They had lunch together, Anwar Sadat, I think his name was. And so we had that picture. So we got a spread out of it in the end, but that was, God, it was hard work. So <laughs> do you uh, think they were eluding you? They were trying to, it was a bit of a game of cat and mouse. I think that's true. You <laughs> I think we. Uh, I think we. Um, he wasn't the third person in the marriage. No, no, it wasn't, no. We didn't. We didn't see them at all. Like you know, in many ways, well, just as well, really. But you know, we did give it a try. Arthur, I want to say just to listeners, this a lot of these photographs are in your fantastic book, Behind the Crown: yeah. My Life Photographing the Royal Family, which is out now uh, with Harper Collins, and it really is extraordinary to see you documenting that whole relationship with the Prince of Wales and. Um, Princess Diana, yeah. um, their children being born, and then obviously things inevitably taking a turn for the worse. And I think yeah. I remember you were there, for example, at the Taj Mahal right, um, yeah. on the day that that, that photograph you know, pointed yeah. out to the world really that things weren't right. What was amazing about that day was uh, we knew that the prince wasn't going because it had been put out as a press release from the palace two weeks earlier and we splashed on it. So I knew that. Um, he wasn't going. But before she went to the Taj Mahal, she went to the Red Fort, which is about a mile away. And nobody went to the Red Fort. Everybody went straight to the Taj Mahal to get set up because this was going to be the big picture. But I went to the Red Fort first on my own. And I went up to the up to the roof there. And in the background, you could see the Taj Mahal shimmering in the heat haze. And I remember she said to me, where do you want me, Arthur? And she was all lovely and smiling. Yeah. And I said, just there, ma'am, you know, and uh, and I'll use a long lens and all sort of trickery to get everything sort of in focus. And she posed that, and it's, it's the most beautiful picture. 
And then I jumped in a cab, raced around to the Taj and got there as well, got that picture as well. So when I remember that day, I remember her saying to me, where do you want me, Arthur? All happy and smiley laughing. And then I get to the Taj Mahal and she's saying, it's so healing. Oh. <laughs> and, and I can't even work out what she was meaning, it meant, you know, by it. But, um, but that's been known, that seat there, as the Diana seat. And, uh, and, I've, and I've sat William and Catherine on that seat. And, and the year, be, no, in uh, 1980, I photographed the Prince of Wales on that seat. Is there a photo of you sitting on it? There should be. Not me, no. No, I think I might. <laughs> no, it's not one of me sitting on it. But, uh, <laughs> but certainly, uh, no, I remember that Diana day. And, uh, but, you know, everybody was going on about, you know, the Prince. But it was never planned. He was on a plane going to another city with a lot of British businessmen to, who were signing up a lot of contracts with Indian companies so you know he was out there supporting British business but um no it was it was a moment but the tour was you know it was falling apart I mean when they the polo match in Jaipur always when uh, she presented the prizes they kissed on the lips it was always a page one picture it certainly was a page one picture this time because she just turned her head as he went to kiss her and uh oh, no. oh god I remember you know we used to have these satellite phones then like you uh, massive things you know we're setting all these satellite phones up getting these pictures to London and um well, I think then we all realised that it was obviously, it wasn't right. And I was always refused to believe it. And I'm a great believer in marriage and I think it's a great constitution. And, um, but the, this was, you know, he was going to polo matches every weekend. The kids were staying, you know, with her and they never saw them. Never saw, and that's quality time, you know, and, um, and, and that was happening. And I was like, well, this, this is not good. But obviously then there were rumours he was seeing uh, Camilla and then she was, um, it was about, Princess Diana, several boyfriends, and um, well, those rumours before the book came out, Diana's book, because we spoke to Andrew Morton uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he said that when Diana started sending him like her confessions, she were he was stunned at what she was telling him, like that he had no idea that the fairy tale wasn't actually true. Like everybody else in the royal circuit, I believe that the, the, the prince and princess of Wales would eventually become the king and queen despite their difficulties. And so for me, listening to that first tape recording in a, a cafe in North London, in Ryslip, it was like entering, uh, the walking through a wardrobe in Narnia, or like entering a parallel universe to be told these things about a woman called Camilla, never heard of her. It, it left me re reeling and I defy anybody not to be absolutely stunned by it. And I was. I didn't know that, you know. I remember going to Brazil with them and, you know, I remember calling each other darling and I thought, you don't call each other darling if you're going to finish the... Um... Anyway, it, it was falling apart and then we went to Korea. They called that the Glums Tour. They were so miserable, the pair of them, and um, it was obvious that this was this was never going to uh, work. And, of course, the Prime Minister at Christmas time, he said that, you know, they've decided to separate. I wish to inform the House that Buckingham Palace are at this moment issuing the following statement. It reads as follows... It is announced from Buckingham Palace that with regret, the Prince and Princess of Wales have decided to separate. Their Royal Highnesses have no plans to divorce and their constitutional positions are unaffected. This decision has been reached amicably and they will both to continue to participate fully in the upbringing of their children. And it was over and it was a sort of, uh, it was a miserable time for, I suppose, for both of them, especially the children and the children, you know, and, but, um, you know, they moved on and, um, and Diana sort of still the most popular member of the royal family, even though she wasn't a member of the royal family anymore. She was just, when she got on a plane, always 30 of us got on the plane with her. 
yeah. wherever she went, we went with her, and she was um, she was uh, she was great copy and great pictures, and 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 for a long while, you know, this was going on, and then of course the tragedy in Paris, which um, I suppose we all remember where we were when that happened, and I was coming back from a wedding, phone went, and it was the office saying Diana's in a car crash, but we think she's all right. Can you get to Paris first thing in the morning? I said, yeah. And then I turned the radio on the car and listening to it, and it was sort of when the message came that Dodie was dead. And then the office came on again, said, so go straight to Heathrow, we've chartered a plane, it's going at three in the morning. Uh, and, and that was it, landed in Paris, and then you went into sort of this work mode, you went, I went to the tunnel, and it was a little girl laying flowers at the thir- 13th column. And then I went to, there was some, I went to the hospital, it was a hot, stinking hot day, and it was tons of crews arriving from all over the, all over the world. And then um, we were given a three-line whip by the office to so on no account give any interviews because uh, it's that the paparazzi had caused the uh, accident, which they didn't. Uh, but at that time we didn't know, and uh, and I managed to get into the hospital to get the picture of the coffin leaving. It was just about four of us, five of us, got in there for that. And I remember as the coffin came out in the back, the standard draped over it, by carried by the um, the Queen's undertakers. And um, I remember my wife phoned me. She said, "You know, I hadn't seen her since two in the morning." And I looked at home, and uh, you okay? And I said, "Diana's coming in." And I was starting to cry. You know, seeing this coffin. You know, it's Diana. Finally, she's I've, I've, she's in there, and I'm starting. I've taken the pictures. And of course, I've got to get the pictures back because it's now on the first edition time. So I'm rushing for a cab. No cab would take me because I had these cameras around my neck. And I, you're an assassin. You're a killer. Oh God. Oh God. Uh, and then I came back and then worked all that week preparing for the funeral. So it was a it was a hell of a hell of a time. And um, and the funeral itself, you know, that was I mean that was uh, that sort of will never leave my memory. I mean it was, and I remember the crowd sobbing, not crying, sobbing. People sobbing. And, and one, I remember one called out, you know, God bless you, Harry. And uh, and and the thing is a blur. And I remember people quit then, you know, a lot of journalists quit covering the roles then because they figured it was. But I never did. I just carried on with Prince Charles. And often I would be on my own, go to Nigeria, I'd probably be on my own with him there or maybe two or three of us and uh, Saudi Arabia and some of these places. Um, but... You know, I, by this time, as I say, I was a convert. I was listening to what he was saying. I was um, impressed by the way he was making things happen. Anyone can have a great idea. But if someone has a great idea and they can make it happen, make it work, that's the person you want. And he was the person who did that. And he would get whoever it was involved, he'd get that to make it work. And then his fight to save the rainforests, and, you know, it was... It's quite impressive. Seeing as you got off to a bad start with Charles, when did that relationship take a turn? Like, do you remember or recall really, the moment? No, I don't really remember when it was. It was a graduate, obviously. I work. We worked for a tough editors then. It was. It was a tough business. So instead of if he would, if there was a picture where he was perhaps pulling a face or he wasn't looking so good, I wouldn't send it anymore. I'd start to think of you know, be more positive, more yeah. thinking about mm-hmm. how this picture can can help him in his cause, you know. And it was. And one year, one. One day, a, uh, a Home Secretary, I think, I can't remember his name, I can't remember his name now, made some disparaging remarks about the Prince. And uh, I was asked by the company to write a response to the paper about it. And I wrote this very nice piece about the Prince. Very positive, upbeat, you know, extolling his virtues. And that was me. I, I, I realised when I did it, 
that's how I was thinking. And uh, and that was it. And that was. And do you think you think he read that, or he was told about it? I know it? he did read it. Yeah, or I know he was shown it. So I don't know, but we, we our whole relationship took a different turn then. And um, he's just, um, I just, he's got a tough job now. He's got this. He's now the king, and he's got this um, lot of weight on his shoulders now. He's got obviously the problem with his own family, with Harry, sort of making things uncomfortable for them, and. Um, Obviously, William, he's, one of his sole purpose in life as the Prince of Wales was to produce, for, to, to turn William into a good king. And it was, this was, and, he's, and he seems to have done that. I was working with William yesterday. And, uh, you know, he's, he's now grasped that. And he's really, he will make a great king. And he'll have Catherine on, his, on the throne with him. And they'll be, so I think the, the monarch is pretty safe now. And, uh, and I think all the rocking from America is not going to affect that. But um, they still have got to... Uh, like, like I had to in the 70s and 80s, you've got to produce. You've got to, yeah. every day, you've got to give it your best shot. And, uh, and Do you I have any regrets? Doing that. I have any regrets? No, I have any regrets. No. Well, only one regret I have, I photographed Diana when she was five months pregnant with the, in the bikini in the Bahamas from a long lens in the woods, and, I, and I've really regretted that. How come? Because it was sneaky. It was, they didn't know I was there. It was what I hate most. But a bit I, more paparazzi. No, there was, there was 30 photographers on the island. The first one to get yeah. the pictures, and I was the first one to get the pictures, was the one that mattered. But you know what? I remember coming back to the office, flew back the next day, and I remember landing at Heathrow, just putting the car radio on, and there was, there was all these people sort of condemning me and condemning the paper for doing this. And, oh, God, I felt awful. And then I walked into the office, and I, did, it was, I remember the office, we used to have car drivers then. The office driver said, you're scum, he said to me. Oh. And as I walked in, oh, God... And then the editor grabbed me and lifted me. He said, "You know, you come back to the office a hero." And then, 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 <laughs> then, then, of course, he ran the pictures the second day, saying, "What's all the fuss about?" You know, oh, really, no. you sort of. But, um, but you know, it wasn't uh, your finest moment. It wasn't one of my <laughs> finest moments. But, but having said that, you know, if you work for a newspaper and the editor asks you to do something, you have to do it. Yeah. Have and there been it, times when you've chosen not to photograph certain? Like you've seen it, you could have photographed it, and you decided. Mm, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, of course, yeah. You want me to tell you something? Yeah, please. I was with, uh, with Sarah Ferguson when she was the Duchess of York. We were at an event. I can't remember where it was now. We were in somewhere in the, in the home counties. And where she she was went to sit down, she saw a lady waiting to put the chair, and there was no chair there. She fell up and the dress went up in the air, and I picked her up. <laughs> One God. Picked her up. But oh you know what? God. I never regretted that because she always... She was one of the nicest people I ever photographed as well, Sarah Ferguson. She was always so pleasant, so nice to work with. And uh, I was talking to her about she. Well, I'll never forget. She said on the day I got engaged, the day before I got engaged, she said you organised all the all the press to let me through without a scuffle, and you lined everybody up. She said, and so I could walk into work that day and not feel bad. I said, yeah. And she said, and so much so that you didn't take a picture yourself. I said, no. She said, I said, but don't tell anyone because I'll probably get a sack. So she <laughs> said that she, um, but I mean, one of the other blokes gave me a frame, but you know, I was, uh, but you know, she thanked me for that. And I never, she never forgot that either. And so I think when you, when I've done those things, um, uh, I have no regrets, no. Why, why should I, you know, I mean, I think that's the decent thing to do. Why would I do that? Be an instant page one picture. And then, you know, I probably wrote off all that yeah. relationship. And, you know, the thing about doing this job, it's a long corridor. You know, you can you can always you can always cut corners, but in the end of the day, 
it will cut you. You know, you you you've got to you've got to keep your own um, standards. And thank God, you know, the Sun newspaper they 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 believe in the same standards. We do support very much our king, and uh, we're doing everything impossible to make it. You know, as easy going from as possible as it can because you know it's a it's a very tough job. And take it on when you're seventy four. It's it's tough. You know, when you're thinking about putting your feet up, uh, most people he's he's getting yeah. taking on this massive role, and, and and he'll do very well, and he'll do it his way. And remember, I write letters to uh, ministers anymore or anything like that. But I'm sure he'll use in some way he'll use his position to benefit others, as he always has done. Arthur, I want to talk about what I think, and I'm sure you agree, is the king's secret weapon, and that is his wife. Oh, my darling Camilla, yeah. I, love <laughs> I do I do really love that woman, and uh, she is such a kind, nice person. And I can't go into too much detail about her personally, She's things she's done for me, but she has been so, so wonderful. And um, he, you know, I mean, this, this attack by... Harry on Camilla, I can't understand it because I've never heard her say a bad word about Harry. She's always, you know, she's defended him. She's always said he's a lovely boy. And and now I find that, I found that in that book so spiteful, so unnecessary. You know, she's, um, I mean, she's a tremendous support to the, uh, to, the to the king. I mean, I remember, I'll give you a couple of instances. When I was in Mullock Moor, Mullock Moor is a little town on the west coast of Ireland where, Lord Mountbatten was blown up in, I think, 79 by the IRA. And the prince was going back there. And there was a spot where he was going to be looking at the where the actual, where the actual explosion took place. And everybody was saying, look, you know, they gave me the pool because they thought I would ask him to, to do a picture there. And as we got closer and closer to the event, um, I said, oh, I've got to do this. So I said, excuse me, sir, can we do a picture here? And he said, why? And I, and I started to explain, and then Camilla came and said, come on, darling, let's do it. And he did it. And then um, I thanked him, and he said, he said, well, you gave me no choice, and I felt really bad about it. But the next day, that picture, uh, published in every newspaper in Britain, and we used it across Tang Collins in the sun, and it was used in Ireland and Northern Ireland, and, um, and it was shown to him, and he said, oh, I understand why Arthur did that. So that was Camilla, though. I wouldn't have got that but for her. Yeah. And, you know, so, you know, she's that calming influence on him where he gets that stinky pen uh, thing happens <laughs> to him. She she just is, you know, and um, and that's made him into a, a much happier man, you know, and I see it all the time now. And, and they're together, they laugh a lot, they chat a lot. They're hilarious together. They really are. They really are a good team. And it's 17 years now, is it, I think, yeah. 17 years and... Uh, That'll last forever, that marriage. They're, they're just so, they're so, and, you know, Camilla's not, you know, she's her own person. She still has her own home. She still has her own family and loves her grandchildren. And, and, and it just, and it's worked out brilliantly. And I just, uh, you know, she's a woman, she's a woman of 75. She's, she hates flying. She finds it very difficult to adjust the jet lag. Unlike the prince, he just seems to thrive on it. But um, well, the king knows now. But you know she is um, quite rightly our queen, and um, she's going to do her best to sort of contribute to the whole event and 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 be there supporting him, and yeah. which is because he needs it. You know, it's a lonely old life that she's our queen. You know, when she lost the duke, I mean, she just uh, 
it's, it's the one, one person you can totally confide in everything. Yeah. When you've just met the prime minister, you can go and discuss it with your wife, knowing that's going to go no further, or you've something's troubling you, or something, you know. And she's she's just. And no one's going to write a book about what. No you're one's going to. No one's going. No one's going to know a thing about it, you know. And that's just fine. She's. Um, Oh no, oh, I love her too. She's just You a can star. tell, like, you, obviously our listeners yeah. can't see you, but yeah. when you're talking, like, you can no, see it in your face. She's such a star, yeah. Oh, guys, they're, they're a great team and um, they are a really good team and they're just so warm and uh, to people. I mean, even, you know, when the walkabout, he's often waiting for her because she just keeps getting involved oh. and chatting and, you know, she's a good old gossip. But <laughs> a bit it's like just, Catherine. Yeah, but it's, a, but it's very, it's nice to see it and uh, she's a really nice, nice lady and, 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 you know, they're well suited. And, you know, people say, well, why didn't they get married originally? Well, because he couldn't. Because when you are the heir to the throne, you have to do so many things. He explained it all to me once. He had to go in the Navy, the Army, the Air Force. He had to go to business school. William had to do exactly the same. William couldn't get married till he was 30. He had to do all those things, oh. Army, Navy, Air Force, business school. And he served in the, in the West Indies on a, on a naval ship. All those things they have to do, it's because they're going to be head of the armed forces. And so they have to, you know, yeah. I remember seeing the Prince Charles doing his first parachute jump, you know, to get his wings. I mean, all those things they have to do. And obviously Camilla just went away. And, um, but they're together now. And that's the main thing. And they're very happy together. I've seen a lot of people say that maybe Prince Harry going for Camilla in the book and writing what he did about Camilla is the point of no return for, will be the point of no return for King Charles. Like knowing him as you do, do you think that that's true um I, I kind of know he's his son you know in the other day he's his son yeah i think um parents put up with a lot <laughs> i think i think you know what at the end of the day you know it's a uh, his son i think i don't think it cut him completely off i think um i i, I think he'll try and keep some contact with him yeah i mean i can't you know i mean harry is such a nice person i mean tell people when i people are talking about this i mean i remember covering harry's tours and they were fun they were brilliant they were just magnificent you could you know, you guarantee getting a picture in the paper every morning and it'll be something really brilliant. And he would have contributed to that and he knew he was helping you do that. And I remember him saying, my main role is to, you know, help you guys get this stuff. And he would do that. And then, then he criticised Camilla for doing exactly the same thing yeah. because that's what she was doing. She was trying to help, you know. You go on a job with our Queen and she's phenomenal. She, Emily will tell you that. You know, she really does everything possible to help you. And um, I've got nothing but huge admiration for the pair of them. Look, who knows where this, you know, it's going to happen in, in California, you know, there. I don't know what he does all day with himself. I, you know, I mean, he was such a busy guy here when he was prince of the realm here. and But now I, must, I don't know what he, I must feed the chickens all day. I don't know what he does, but it's <laughs> pretty boring. Walk the dogs, you know, <laughs> but um, no, I, I look, I've got a great hope for him still. You know, I, I wouldn't write Harry off yet. I, I feel that he's going through a pretty bad time, but, you know, um, prodigal son and all that, you know. Yeah. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Having photographed Charles since his 20s to now, looking back, when do you think it was his happiest time and when do you think was his worst time to photograph? Well, the worst time was in the, um, the almost a year, 18 months preceding the breakup of the marriage. That was when they were just no longer anything to say to each other. Um, listen, I think the best time also was when they got married, when he married Diana. I remember yeah. doing that tour of Australia and they couldn't keep their hands off each other. I mean, that was a, a fantastic tour. A lot of love. I mean, I've got some wonderful pictures of that, you know, holding hands. Uh, I mean, just really nice stuff. At that time, everybody was saying, good luck and I hope everything goes well and how lucky you are. 
be engaged to such a lovely lady. And my goodness, I was lucky enough to marry her. I don't believe that he never loved her. I don't believe that at all. I do believe that they just probably were not suited. You know, like she liked Elton John and he liked opera and and they had just different tastes. And perhaps that's where they couldn't meet. But certainly those early years, I thought they were very loved up. And um, so I don't think that was a bad time. I think the happiest time for him, probably that when William was born, I think that was a happy time. I remember being outside the hospital when, when he came out after it had just been announced and he was so excited, you know, like he was really unbelievable, you know. He just, uh, he was just so amazing, you know. So that was happy times for him. But I think um, he now is his toughest time. I think now, you know, following a, a queen who served this country, like, with, with not, no, no blemish, you know, can't, for, for 70 years and keep it on track, keep the monarchy alive. There's many people who would like to see the end of it, but not him and not me. Keep not it me. going and uh, <laughs> keep it going because, you know, it's, it's what's great about our country. We have this great head of state and uh, I hope, you know, he's he, he, he just there for many years. I feel like you have a really good relationship with Charles and I even thought maybe you were friends, but I know you don't classify it no, as a friendship. No, no. How would you classify your relationship? Well, I, I, that's how I classify it. He calls me Arthur. I call him Sir. <laughs> and that's it. That's it. You know, that's the way it is. It never would change from that. He, he. Um, Do you have his phone number on your phone? No. 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 And if and I, and I, I think he has a phone. <laughs> God, he lives a good life. He doesn't have a phone. No, he doesn't like, live like that. He doesn't. You know, he's not. He's not uh, computer literate. But um, he writes beautiful letters, and I've had a few of those. And. Um, his kindness is unbelievable. I think I'd also, at this stage, like to tell you a little bit what it's like working with Arthur. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Um, one of my <laughs> favourite visits ever was when Arthur and I went to Washington to cover the then Prince of Wales and Duchess of Cornwall. And we ended up in the White House, in the Oval Office, with President Obama and Joe think? Biden and the Prince of Wales. Pardon? <laughs> yes. It was quite a spectacular moment. And essentially what happened was... We walked into the room and they do what's called a grip and grin. So you just get 30 seconds to photograph them shaking hands. And I was the only reporter in there to write down anything that was said. And you're sort of herded in really quickly. They smile, they shake hands or whatever for the <laughs> photograph. And then you're herded out. And as we're about to be herded out, the now king points at Arthur Edwards and says to Mr. Obama, this is Arthur. He's been following me around, I think at that point, for about 37 years. And Obama then turns to Arthur and he's like, is that right? That's awesome. And then starts chatting away as if he's known him forever. And only Arthur. <laughs> only Arthur. Only Arthur <laughs> could end up having a conversation with the leader of the free world on yeah. a 30-second job. And I think oh, that's a wow. good yeah. summary Honestly. of how well... He's uh, known and respected. Uh, in this, I've been doing in this, this for ten years, which is not a lot. And I remember Arthur at the same time as I remember starting with the royals. And even you got a mention when Prince Louis was born, because Prince Louis's second name is Arthur. Yeah. And I think William made a mention to you when he was introducing him for the first time. Is yeah. he named after you, Arthur? Do you think? I don't think so. No, it's, it's a very royal name, actually. I think one of Prince Charles's names is Arthur. I know that certainly. Uh, at least on two occasions when they walked out of the Lindo wing, he pointed you out yeah, to, to yeah, Kate yeah, and yeah. said... That's our thing, yeah. The thing is, uh, I don't know why it is, but, you know, I mean, William is... Well, I was there when William was born, I mean, and now then when George is born and Louis is born and Charlotte's born, it's quite a long event, isn't it? And he's... Um, yeah, he's a nice man, William, really lovely person. He obviously, you know... 
got a bit of a temper. We know that now because uh, broke the necklace. But uh, oh, <laughs> dog bowl game. Uh, who wears a necklace? And uh, <laughs> and um, that's uh, that wasn't good news. But um, no, I think our king is uh, as he said to me. It wasn't when I said the story about the queen dying, sir. And he said it was inevitable. That's happened one day, and now he's the king, and uh, he's. Um, you were with we him the, the night before the queen died. I was, yeah, yeah. And, and he, then you photographed him for the first time as king the yeah, following day at the airport. Yeah, but you know he's a great man. I love him. I think he's got a, he's got a tough gig, a tough job, but he's prepared for it. He's been the most prepared monarch in waiting we've ever yes. had. He knows everybody in the world that needs that you need to know. He's met them all several times and many times, and um, he's hugely respected not only for what. He's 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 done was doing now, but what he did as the Prince of Wales. I mean, the Prince's Trust alone, except you know the million youngsters have saved from the scrap heap. I mean, that's amazing what he's done there, and and all these charities. He's got umpteen charities. He starts and gets going, and a lot of those will be handed over to William. And William's got a massive amount now to do. He's got the Duchy of Cornwall, the Prince's. All this is on his plate now, but you know. They'll cope with it, and uh, you know, I think you know, I think the country, as far as our royal family is uh, concerned, is in good shape. Are you looking forward to the coronation? I am, yeah, I am really. I've always wanted, you know, I always sort of every year we do these annual surveys at the company, you know, where you have to do what you, your, your aspirations, and I always put what do you, what do you want, to, want to cover the coronation? That's all I've always put down. Do you know the spot <laughs> that you want because? Uh, well, I want to be in the Abbey. Obviously, I want to be there for listening to the music and everything, and I want to be sort of. I was there for the Queen's funeral, and uh, it was uh, you. You get limited. Obviously, you get limited access to the photographs, but you you're there for the you you you're in, you're involved in it more yeah. than you're standing outside chatting away, talking rubbish to each other. While the way you, you know, I look on the. Uh, it's a pretty safe place now, and I, I think he's going to make more changes. The King, I think he's obviously going to Buckingham Palace are going to be open to the public more. I think the year round, I think he's going to uh, make that that a priority. And uh, I don't know what he's going to do about keep kind of sandering us and and Windsor every week. I don't think that'll happen. But I think he's still going to keep his high growth house and with the gardens there, magnificent. Beautiful. When he was Very fifty, beautiful. when Prince Charles was fifty, uh, the the photographers the cover at the event, five of us, we had this. Uh, garden gnome made for him as a paparazzi and <laughs> with his big camera and we presented it to him at um, up in Sheffield and we were doing a, an engagement there and uh, he took it and we, picked, we, we took a photograph holding the gnome and he invited us all to our wives and everything to uh, Highgrove to two of the gardens looking for the gnome <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's just how he is you know he's a uh, we gave him this lovely present, and then he gave us a present by by inviting us to have this wonderful tour of the garden. So, you know, he's uh, he's very grateful for every little thing you can do for him, and I'm trying very hard every day to do my best to keep him, keep him, get him in the paper, and let people see what great work he's doing. Well, he definitely thinks fondly of you because I, I saw this speech that he gave for his 70th birthday, calling you a jolly good bloke. He's a very good photographer. Um, a jolly good bloke, I think. And a very special person. And uh, none of our overseas visits, I can assure you, ladies and gentlemen, will be the same without Arthur Edwards there. And I get more and more worried because he's a bit further advanced than we are. <laughs> And I always worried about the number of cameras and bits of equipment that he carries in boiling hot countries. 
So anyway, Arthur, I'm so grateful to you for, for all your kindness. That was another thing, you know. You know, we organised this party for him, and he came, and uh, and I was, of course, I I was the sort of host, and um, and what do you do? You know, I got I got an album of all the best pictures I ever took of him, and I produced this beautiful album of stuff. What well, can you give a king? Yeah, He's got everything, you know. And uh, and of course, he was he was very gracious. He went and talked to all our readers that came to the party, and I finally spoke to him a, a few weeks later, and, he, and we talked about it. And he said, "Oh, he said one of the readers wrote to me. He said and." said that she didn't get to meet me, so I sent her a picture. Oh. You know, well, that's just him, you see. Yeah. And that's what he's like. He's a kind person, really kind person, and uh, kind at heart. And if you're kind at heart, you're a pretty nice person. Yes. That's it, I've got to go. Arthur, it's been an absolute pleasure oh, to sorry. have you on. Um, always so fascinating to hear from you, and readers should definitely pick up a copy of your book to yes. see all the fantastic images yeah. you've been telling us about. Yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed doing the book, and uh, I'm very proud of it. And um, I'm told it's selling quite well, so thank you. Good. Let's hope it sells better now. What an incredible chat and what an amazing career Arthur has had. Long live the king. Long live the king. Oh, are you a fan now, Amy? I've I've joined the fan club, guys. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) he sounds fantastic. I'm very happy he's our king now. Has it genuinely changed your feelings towards him? I really do think so, yeah. I think I always knew how, you know, he's very environmentally conscious and, and, and so on. But just hearing from Arthur now about how much he did and how much he has really dedicated his life to this this role, I do think is actually really inspiring. There we I'm go. converted. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much to Arthur for joining us and tune in for our next episode, Royal Rascals, where we'll be talking all things royal kids. In the meantime, catch more from Hello with our news and entertainment show, The Daily Lowdown, available on Spotify, Apple and wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. 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 Bye.